All right, good morning. So if you guys didn't know it, Matt is out of town, and we kind of have this place all to ourselves, so <laughs> I can prove it. The stand says Matt on it, and I've got my cup sitting right in the middle of it, so pardon me this morning. I'm fighting a little bit of a cough, so um, please excuse me. I'll try to not cough in the mic best I can, um, but, but since Matt's gone, we can kind of talk about whatever we want to, so let's talk about the Marber video, huh? Honestly, genuinely, can you believe that? Isn't that cool? Uh, who recognized the song in the bumper video? Anybody? I've been wanting to say this for weeks and ask people, so here's my chance. Yeah, right? Right? Eminem, right? Sing for the moment. Yeah. No? No. All right. And I'm probably too old to even say this, but Immortal Technique? No? Do you know, do you know who that is? All right. It's, it's like a hip-hop artist. He sampled it like five years ago. Classic song of angels and demons. Yeah. No, we know, we know uh, hopefully that song is a, that's an Aerosmith song. It's a classic, right? Um, if you can believe it, Steven Tyler was 25 when that song came out. There's been a lot of rough years <laughs> since. Uh, but, well, hello again. Uh, good morning. I'm Ryan. Um, I really hope, uh, you know, some of my friends that I work with uh, come to church here. And um, some of you guys were probably at Big Kick West Side this week. I really hope you're not getting tired of hearing me talk. Uh, my wife left town. I, I, I think she's tired of it. I'm frankly tired of it a little bit, of hearing myself, um, but, so I apologize if you're kind of in that boat this morning, um, but at least you didn't leave town like Barb. Um, so Big Kick was an awesome success, right? I can't believe 600 kids between the two campuses, 600 kids this month heard about Jesus and heard about soccer. That's awesome. Um, on a personal note, this past week, uh, I was promoted to a soccer professor by Dave Bishop, who was running the Westside Camp, which was a tremendous honor. Pretty thrilled about that. And I also got to make a ton of new little friends uh, there uh, with the kids. And so throughout the week, I taught the kids three things about me. If they see me at church or see me around town, and I thought I'd tell you guys three things. The same three things about me this morning is, first is I love to have fun, all right? And it's great because River Ridge loves to have fun. You can tell, right? Um, my wife and I uh, help lead uh, and put together the Thrive events. And uh, our next one's coming up in the middle of July is kiddie pool kickball. And if you would tell me that as a 37-year-old man, I would dive headfirst in a, into a kiddie pool last year, I would have told you you were dead wrong. But I was wrong. It was awesome. And we're doing that again in July, kiddie pool kickball. So I love to have fun. Something else about me is I love soccer. I think it's a great sport. Uh, I grew up playing it. And uh, I think it's really catching on uh, in this area. And so I think that's great. Um, third thing about me is I love Jesus. I do. I'm not ashamed. But I don't know that he always knows it by the way I act and by the way I talk. I'm thrilled that we get to come here this morning together, um, worship him, right? We get to come here this morning together um, and hopefully take our next steps with God. That's what River is here for, right? Is to, we do that together. So the last time we chatted, uh, last year, Matt asked me to talk about Proverbs, uh, about how what work looks like through Proverbs. Um, I don't know if anybody still has the app we talked about last year. It was called Quality Time, installed on their phone. I still do. It still pops up in the morning. It's hard to believe that I can unlock my phone over 150 times in the day. It's still convicting. It was a year ago. It still is. Um, it's crazy. Uh, you know, we talked about getting rid of worthless pursuits, and these things, these things can wear you out. Um, so I'm going to be honest. Matt asked me to speak, and it, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'll be, I'll be real with you guys because I'm just an ordinary dude. Right, I'm, I mean, I'm just like you guys, uh, and I feel like 
the only way um, there's any message to share this morning is through God's provision. Um, he, he fully and wholly either um, gives us things to say in those moments or not. Um, so if you guys will pray with me, I'd just like to invite his presence in the room today. Father God, I thank you, um, Lord, that you are a personal God and you, um, Lord, when we gather, you'll show up in the place, Lord, and in our hearts. I invite you here today. Lord, in this room, please um, just stir in our hearts uh, a, uh, Lord, an appetite for truth. And uh, Lord, let us to look into your word and um, walk out of here, uh, Lord, with things that we can uh, do to, to change our lives and to live by. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the example, um, the saving grace we can receive through Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So we get together on Sunday mornings, and I recognize uh, we have a lot of people come from a lot of different places uh, here, um, but you found yourself here. Um, we're a really mixed group with lots of different feelings about God, a lot of different feelings about church, a lot of different feelings about uh, Jesus and maybe the Bible. Um, I recognize that some of you guys here aren't followers of Jesus, and that's cool. Uh, and I, knew, I know there's people in this church that every day, day by day, are walking step for step with him. Uh, and they're amazing examples to us. Um, but I think, though, that many of us are, you know, really myself included, many of us are somewhere in between, right? We're, we're, we're deeply drawn into spirit, to spiritual things. We're deeply drawn to spiritual experiences. And when we pray, we pray genuinely. Um, we trust that largely the Bible's true, and we see it as relevant for, for our life today. Um, but man... We're also very busy and preoccupied, right? There's responsibilities and cares in our lives that take up a lot of our uh, mental space and our energy. I look at my life, and I see myself constantly in try, trying to improve my situation. So I, whether it's finding a better job or, or a better place to live or um, you know, better activities for my kids or getting more education, more savings, less debt, Better investments or great friends, I, we worry and we work, we plan and we prepare, all hoping to either improve or secure our current circumstances. And for those of you that accepted God's gift of eternal life and are followers of Christ, tell me why it is that we often look at these things for satisfaction, for happiness, for our self-esteem. We look to these things to define our significance. What do our circumstances really mean to us anyway? And even if you haven't accepted the invitation to follow Jesus Christ, you know this already. You still likely know that no status, no promotion, no purchase, no experience will permanently satisfy your desire for improved circumstances. There's this empty spot in our lives, and it creates this friction. And I know things happen to us all. Believers and non-believers, which we didn't create, we can't control, and frankly, we don't even understand. Nobody has experienced this more than Joseph. It's the guy we're studying right now in this series, right? We read about Joseph as this matter of history, right? The whole, it's all happened and we read about it in hindsight. 
But to Joseph, he never knew how his story was going to turn out. He lived day by day through his life just like you and I do. So despite his plans, despite his efforts, he kept finding himself in these really new and difficult situations. And so I'm going to pick the story right up where uh, Matt's left off last week. And uh, before I do that, if you're new here or you've missed a couple of weeks, I'm going to do a quick recap, catch you up to where we are in Joseph's life. So Joseph was born into a very prominent, blessed family. He's the great-grandson of Abraham, if you heard about him. And pardon me if I call Joseph Joe. I've gotten familiar with him over the past couple of weeks. He was the favorite son of 12. His father uh, got him a coat of many colors or a colorful robe, and some people know about that. Um, he was somewhat famous for that. And then he had these dreams that he bragged about to his brothers that said, you know, that he was going to be in charge of them someday. Um, and his brothers did not like him very much, and so they plotted to kill him. Uh, and when he showed up, um, they threw him in the bottom of a well, and uh, then they thought they could actually make some money off of him. So they pulled him out of the well, and they sold him to slave traders. All right, so he's living up in sort of the area of modern-day Israel, and slave traders took him all the way down to Egypt. All right, in Egypt, he was sold to a man named Potiphar, and within Potiphar's uh, household, uh, Potiphar began noticing Joseph was very able. He was highly skilled, and so Joseph was promoted up until finally he managed all of Potiphar's household affairs, but he had a run-in with Potiphar's wife, and he was accused of some things he didn't do, and they threw Joseph in jail. So Joseph's in jail, and while he's in jail, he still possesses his skills and his talents, and they started to promote him within the jail to while he was help, helping to manage the prisoners in the jail. And he ran across a prisoner one day that had a really disturbing dream. There was actually two prisoners. Um, but this one prisoner, um, the dream foretold that he would get out of jail really soon. And Joseph was the one that was able to interpret that dream. And the guy said, when I get out of here, I will remember you, and, uh, and, and it'll be great, right? I'll, I'll make sure, I'll try to get you, get you out of here. But he broke his promise. And so where Matt left us with last week is Joseph's in jail and has dashed expectations, right? That's, that's, that was one of the, um, the notes from last week. And so here he is in jail, forgotten. And we pick up today in Genesis 41. So if you brought your Bible or have the Bible app, turn to Genesis 41. I'm going to jump through it and tell the story and show some of the verses up here, um, but you can follow along at your seat. Um, understand that today, <laughs> we're going to go through 10 years of Joseph's life, 10 years in this one, in this one chapter of Genesis. Um, Matt told me I've got to keep it to 10 minutes per year. You can do the math. Okay. It'll be a little shorter than that. So let's walk through the story. Two full years later, and this is the later is after Joseph interprets the dream that should have got him sprung. So two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy, fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. So he falls back asleep, and he has a second dream. And it's about fat heads of wheat being eaten by thin heads of wheat. 
So the Bible goes on to say that Pharaoh is very disturbed. I'm sure you could do a word study on that. But I think if he freaked him out, right? He had some really weird dreams. And so he grabs all the wise men of the day that he can get his hands on and says, you got to help me understand this. What does this mean? Why did I have these two really odd dreams? Um, now, I was going to say, Pharaoh, I don't know if he dreamed in color, and I don't know if he dreamed in cartoons, but I think this is what it could have looked like. So you've got healthy and scrawny cows eating grass. All of a sudden, the, the fat, healthy cows get a little salt sprinkled on their back. The thin cows just gobble them up, and you've got Death Valley, right? He was freaked out about this. He wanted to know what in the world could this possibly mean. So none of the wise men could tell him what it meant. Nobody. And one of his advisors, the cupbearer, the guy that was in jail with Joseph, says, oh, I know this guy. He's actually in your jail. I think he can help you out. And so Joseph gets summoned out of jail, and he appears before Pharaoh. So here we go, Joseph. Um, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I, have, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear, a, hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Wow. He prepares to use his gift, but he gives God full credit for his gift to be able to interpret Pharaoh's dream. So then in the text, Pharaoh um, goes on to explain his dream to Joseph, which if you guys have been here the last couple of weeks, is no easy task. As Matt has stood up here and tried to explain his crazy dreams. But Pharaoh goes on. He explains his dream to Joseph, and Joseph interprets the dream. He says, um, and this is in verse 25 and 26, but he says, God is telling Pharaoh in advance that there will be seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. But he doesn't stop there. Joseph goes on to give a little bit, a little bit of advice, starting in verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. A little too bold, Joe. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine going to your boss, CEO, the governor, the president, and saying, there is a huge problem coming, right? The first thing you need to do is you need to find somebody that's smart and wise and put him in charge around here, right? Wow. Prisoner just told that to Pharaoh. But he goes on and continues with his advice and says, then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Now, the plan is easy. Find a leader, ration the grain, collect and store 20% of what you produce. And the Bible puts us at ease and says that Pharaoh and his officials, in verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So apparently um, his little wise guy comment was not um, too, too off-putting. And then in verse 41, Pharaoh decides that he's going to put Joseph in charge of the entire land of Egypt. So Pharaoh promotes Joseph, and he gives him a wife, he gives him access to wealth, and he gives him unbelievable power. Joseph, this man from prison to palace in one day, one day. So what does Joseph do? Joseph executes his plan. He does what God says, and immediately Egypt starts having these huge harvests, right? 
And for seven years of prosperity, Joseph stays to the plan. He doesn't get wrapped up in the abundance. He doesn't get off track. He doesn't lose faith that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Sure, he's reaping comforts and rewards, but he keeps his faith that God will keep his word. And everything was going to plan until God moves in verse 53. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. But Joseph was prepared, right? He stuck to the plan. And he's leading with faith, with integrity, with resolve. Goes on, 56, so with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe around the, throughout the world. Imagine living through these 10 years in your life. The first two, Joseph's in jail, and then one day, prison to palace, right? And then he's in this really prominent role for seven years of abundance, and then it all goes away. People are starving everywhere, and he's in charge. What a 10 years. You know, in the story, I think we see a man who's engulfed in circumstances that he did not create, and he can't control, and I frankly think he couldn't even understand. But there's a meanwhile. Meanwhile, God is working, and God's working mostly invisibly to determine his steps. You guys may remember this from Proverbs. Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. God knows that if Joseph remains faithful in the bad circumstances, that, that God can rid him of all of his selfish pride and use him immensely. Joseph will become the prince of Egypt. He'll have his faith and his trust and his hope in God put on prominent display for the entire world to see. Don't doubt it. Despite what you might feel today, God is working in your lives too, mostly invisibly. But he's working in a major way, I assure you. Today, there's two applications um, from this word that, uh, that, that God's put on my heart that I want to share with you, followed by just a few words of encouragement. The first is this. God is way more interested in our character than our circumstance. It's a hard truth to get our mind wrapped around, but it's a theme that comes up as we study Joseph, as we study other characters from the Bible, over and over. And how we react to our circumstances affects the development of our character. And you can read in character here, spirit or soul or heart. What is it? It's the mind behind our mind. It's the part of us that lives eternal. God's interested in that part of us, way beyond our circumstances. Some of God's most special children that we read about and know about have endured the harshest of circumstances. But God, God's heart, God's heart breaks for us in these awful circumstances. But he's about the eternal peace. He's about sharpening and refining. He's about the soul. He wants to grow things that will be eternal. When we look at Joseph, <clears throat> we don't see a man who's grumbling about his circumstances. We don't see him killing time, scheming, 
We don't see him bargaining. We don't see him in despair or indignation when his one opportunity to get out of jail gets dashed. He seems to be trusting God without panic, without plan. We do get to see Joseph after he emerges from jail, right? We get to see the character of that man. Um, You can see the humility despite the opportunity that was presented before him because, frankly, if it was me in the story, I might try to leverage my God-given ability to get myself out of jail. But Joseph doesn't do that. How tempting would it be? In verse 16, remember, Joseph says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. This guy has an opportunity. He's in front of Pharaoh. He's his chance to get out of jail and affect his circumstances. But he glorifies God first. He's humble. God had been working in this man. He had been working Joseph's whole life to affect his character and change the kind of man that he was, to build him in a man, into a man that he could finally, finally use. Guys, we, we are not as crafty or successful or in control as we like to think. So the second application is this. When our circumstances improve, and they will, God will require even more from our character. This is evident in the life of Joseph. Just like Joseph, we ought not take credit for the gifts God's placed in us, the talents. In his life, through one of his God-given talents and through circumstances that God created, Joseph rises to this position of unbelievable worldly power and influence. So let's think about, imagine with me, Joseph's life. What do you think Joseph's life was like then, as prince of Egypt? I'll ask you, was it really better? How does it fare for famous and wealthy people in our day? Let's think about some things. Let's think about the demands on Joseph's time, right? From prisoner to president. Do you have time with the Lord anymore? Do you have time to himself? What about the stresses of his responsibilities? Were the demands of his attention crowding out things that were more important, more eternal? Do you think he had a lot of genuine friends? Or do you think people wanted to be around him just because of his access to wealth and his influence and his power? Were people real with him? I mean, he probably didn't even look Egyptian, being from a different nation. What do you think his temptations were like, right? He, he didn't have this place on Sunday morning. He didn't have a home group. He didn't have K-Love. So he's surrounded by false gods, success, wealth, comfort, everything the world has to offer. What kind of criticisms do you think he got? Can you imagine the doubts of his plan? Joseph is basically the original doomsday prepper, right? Seven years of abundance they're in the middle of, and he's telling them to stuff stuff in barrels because it's all coming to an end, right? You don't think he took some criticism for that? Who told you? God told me. Oh, yeah, right. People question his motives. Do they think they thought that all this collection he was actually hoarding for himself, that he was actually greedy and just taking care of, um, taking care of to make sure he was taken care of, you know? And think about the gossip around his rise to power, right? Who did Joseph have to murder to be able to do that? From prison to palace in the day? Come on, what has he got on Pharaoh? Ultimately, 
the weight of his responsibility? What was the cost of Joseph's failure in this? Surely his own death, but likely the death of thousands of people that would have starved. Could he not have had faith and stayed the course? God honed this man through his circumstances to faithfully bear an unbelievable responsibility in his life. Chuck Swindoll uh, has a quote that I want to share with you all. All whom God uses greatly are first hidden in the secret of his presence away from the pride of man. With the immensity of Joseph's talents hidden, God was preparing Joseph's character for 30 years before this opportunity. So you guys, this morning, just, just being real, I have to share with you the burden um, that God put on my heart as I've read this and prepared for this morning. Um, maybe you'll identify it, and, and, and it'll be um, something you'll want to take before the Lord too, but I've been asking over and over, um, God, am I right now being hidden away from the pride of man in your presence to be honed so that I can be used greatly? Or am I already there? Am I already sitting in the middle of my God will destiny and opportunity? Right? I don't know. Joseph didn't either. If you guys have tuned out, tune back in for a minute, because if you miss everything, anything I've said today, grab onto this. It does not require big worldly circumstances for God to use you for big spiritual things. It does require your heart to be sold out for God to do big spiritual things. Let's compare Joseph with Jesus. One was the prince of Egypt. The other was a homeless rabbi walking around the Judean countryside. Yet, let's think about their eternal impact. I'll say it again. It does not require big worldly circumstances for God to use you for big spiritual things. So I want to leave you guys with some encouragement. Talking about it's, 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 hard, it's a hard truth to think about God being after our soul over our circumstances. But I'll leave you with word that God today is working mostly invisibly in each one of your lives right now, today. He's working in your lives. It should be a huge encouragement to know that the God of the universe is interested in what's going on in our life right now, each individual one of us. And how do we know? Even in the story, if you look, Joseph, when we begin this chapter, is in jail, right? And mostly invisibly, God is working in Pharaoh's life to deliver Joseph for his next opportunity, for his next step, right? Joseph has no idea that's going on. Every day in jail is just like the one before, and all of a sudden, he appears before Pharaoh. For you all that are uh, followers of Jesus, you know this. You know God is working today, because it's already happened to you. You've already experienced it. Come on, you didn't do it, and someone else didn't cause it. God orchestrated your salvation through Christ. God did it. He was at work behind the scenes the whole time, and mostly invisibly, he opened the door. You chose to walk through it. But now, we got to not forget, we have a role after that. And for those of you that are undecided and uncommitted to the whole Jesus thing, I got to say, ask yourself why you're sitting here today, right? Did God move mostly, invisibly, mostly, 
to have you here. I don't know. While it's really encouraging to know God's at work in each of our individual lives, let me tell you, there's an even larger encouragement. God is in work at work at a, in a collective way. God's at work in a much bigger story than each of our individual stories. God is at work to try to restore his creation. Just check this simple, simple image out. God made this world and he made us. He made us in his image. He made us with enough dignity to choose whether to love him or reject him. And we chose to reject him. And when we did, the entire world went into a tailspin, right? We let evil into the world in a big way. But God had a plan the whole time to turn it around. He had this awesome plan that a man named Jesus would come and pay a penalty that would make up for all the bad things we've done, all the bad things we would ever do um, if we would just have faith in him. And we could be restored back to God. That's step one. The redemption is step one. But those of us that are believers, we've got to get about the business of restoration. You know, when you look at the Old Testament... It points constantly to Jesus. The story of Joseph, if you look at the parallels between Joseph's life and Jesus' life, the, the words leap from the page, right? The entire Old Testament, all that God was doing was a huge signpost pointing to his son that was going to make everything right again. He was going to redeem us so we could live in eternity with our creator. It's amazing. As we finish the study, look at those parallels. Just know, though, and I said it before, God is way more interested in our, soul, in our soul than in our situation. And his heart breaks for your situation. And he can deliver you from your situation, but he's after your soul. He's after our hearts. So I'm telling you guys, call me the worst evangelist in the world. But don't become a Christian if you think it's going to make your life easier. Don't do it. Don't become a Christian because you want to feel more included. Don't become a Christian if you think it's going to somehow get God on your side. Because as Christians, we're called to stand in the gap. Stand in the gap between sin and righteousness. Stand in the gap between death and life. That's restoration. We're here to restore. We're here to restore our, our, our neighbor. We're here to restore his creation through the blood of Jesus Christ. I invite you, if you never have, to accept the redemptive offer this morning. Accept God's gift that he paid full price for everything you've ever done wrong by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you to accept that this morning. Um, secure a place for you in eternity with our creator. And for the rest of us, stand in the gap. You know, even our good buddy, Stephen Tyler, at the ripe old age of 25, 1973, he penned some words that could not have been more true about the gospel. I know it's everybody's sin. You got to lose to know how to win. Took the words right out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus in Matthew, Jesus in Matthew 16, 25, he's talking to his guys. And he's trying to point them to eternal life. And he says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus tells us how to win, guys. You guys, the band's going to come back up. Um, they're going to close us with a song. 
that is the gospel, and we sung it earlier today, um, about the beautiful, beautiful name of Jesus. All right? If this morning, if you haven't ever accepted Christ to be your Savior, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, but I'm also going to hang out up here during the last song and after the service if you want to just talk about it. Um, but join us in the mission of restoration. Pray with me, please. Father, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you that you place stories, uh, Lord, from the Old Testament as just a huge neon sign to point us towards the redemptive work you were going to do through him. Father, strengthen our faith this morning. Help us to live out our calling. Help us to understand what you're doing in our character and in our soul right now. Help us to wrestle with what you'd have us to do and to be, God. Help us to sell our hearts out for you. Lord, I pray this morning um, that anyone that does not know your son Jesus as their Savior would accept him. I thank you so much for him. We pray in his name. Amen.